us of how sweet our family is, and they are a treasure given to us from God. Amen. Thankful for that reminder. If you've got your Bibles, how about 2 Samuel chapter 5? 2 Samuel chapter 5. And when you find 2 Samuel chapter 5, say amen. Three of you found it. Amen, amen, amen. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 21. But don't lose that spot. Because I'm going to go on past that a little when I preach. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel... All the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up. For I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking through of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim, And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines, I said, I was just going to read 21, didn't I? But keep your place. I'm going to tell you what's happened to this point. Let me just tell you that the children of Israel has had lots of enemies. You ever read your Bible and read about them? It'll be the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all those ites. But there was one particular bunch that was just an enemy of all enemies. And that was the Philistines. Matter of fact, they're still an enemy of Israel. They're not called the Philistines anymore. How about the Palestinians? which are descendants from the Philistines. So without doubt, they've always been, if you will, a thorn in the side of God's people, Israel. And so if we really look at this, beginning in 2 Samuel, you'll realize that Saul, man, he had had it with the Philistines. The Philistines would literally a thorn in his side. Now, when I read about Saul, it seems to me that he was about bipolar. It seems to me like he was a very moody guy. Not from moody where I'm at, but very moody. Up here one minute, down here the next. And a big part of that was the enemy, the Philistines. And at the end of 1 Samuel, he had had it up to here because the Philistines was beginning to win some of those battles. He looked at his armor bearer and he said, here's my sword, thrust it through me. His armor bearer wouldn't do it. He thought more of Saul than Saul thought of himself. So Saul took his 
sword and thrust it through himself. And what happened from that point is the kingdom become divided. Some of them wanted this king. Some of them wanted David king. And what happened is a civil war. You listening to me? So what did this enemy of God's people get to do during that? They got to kick back, put their feet up on the footstool, says we don't have to kill them. They're going to kill themselves. And during this civil war, they're just killing themselves. Can I just say from that, there's a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that the devil can just kick his feet up on the footstool. And you know why? There's a civil war inside the churches. They're fighting among themselves. Christians fighting in them, within themselves. And guess what? Then the enemy just put his feet up and said, I don't have to fight them. They're doing good enough fighting among themselves. But hope you'll listen to what I'm fixing to say. What has happened by now is God's will is coming to pass. It's been a while since he's been anointed king, but he's finally going to be anointed and the call of God on his life is fixing to happen. He's fixing to get the throne. In other words, Israel's fixing to get back in the will of God and in the plan of God. You got that? And so when you get back in the will of God and you're part of the plan of God, guess what? The enemy can no longer rest. They got to take the feet off the footstool and they got to get up because something's happening. The will of God and the plan of God is fixing to take effect. And the Philistines, guess what? They had heard, hey, they're getting along. They've got a brand new king. And they heard that he had been anointed king. Look at it. Over Israel. Now what you need to understand, it says all, all the Philistines went up to search for David. The word all is pretty significant there if you study out the Philistines. The Philistines had five regiments in their army. And when they would battle the children of Israel, often they would just deploy one regiment. It would battle a while and then it would come to retreat and then another regiment or two would go in. It's interesting to me that when David is anointed king, they didn't dispatch one regiment, not two, not three, not four. All five of them. Pretty serious deal when the children of God get together. And they sent the whole army, all five regiments, to search for David. Can I say this to you? Don't be misunderstood. All the Philistine armies wasn't going to greet David and congratulate him for his new kingship. They were all going not to greet and congratulate him. They were going to kill the new king. From that, let me preach just a moment, a short moment, when a new convert gets saved. Here comes the devil and wants to immediately snuff out the new convert. I was glad to get to hear Brother Mike's story of what happened 30 years ago today. 
See, because when he started sharing that, a young man that's been coming to church with Glenn slid over by me when he said, I looked at my phone. I was waiting to hear what Mike looked on his phone and what happened. But that young man looked over at me and had tears welled up in his eyes and he said, Rob, I ain't never been saved. And man, I was so wanting to hear that story. I said, you had never, no, I've never been saved. I said, all right, boy, I want, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me listen to the story. I thought, thank God, Mike's going to prayer. I hear it there. I said, do you need to be saved? He said, I need to be saved. So the whole time he was telling the story he just told, I was getting to listen to Jason Smith pray the single greatest prayer. Before I ever preached a word, we had somebody saved in the altars at Telequal Campus. Amen. And so... Listen, and you can rest assured when a new convert gets saved that the enemy is coming not to greet and not to congratulate you on getting your name written down in heaven. The enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy and get that from you right then. So David hears the whole Philistine army, not one, but all five regiments are coming. And we can learn something from David about when the enemy is coming. Watch what he does. Number one, David gets counsel from God. Now, the Philistine army wasn't used to that. Because when they come against Saul, Saul just commanded the army, mount up, get the chariots hooked up, get the swordsmen, get the ground soldiers, get the horse soldiers, and attack. So anytime the Philistine army was coming, they was used to, when we're coming, we're going to meet them head on. But when David heard of it, that isn't what he done. See, he sought counsel from the Lord. David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. Some of your translations will say the whole. But look up here and listen. Some commentators say he went there because he was scared. But surely if you've read many commentators, like one preacher said, you'll just find out they're commentators. Because if they think David went down to the stronghold because he was scared, maybe they missed out on other portions of the Bible that David was the man that uh, took out the lion, took out the bear, and maybe they missed when they said he was scared when he went to the stronghold that there was this big old giant named Goliath that had been talking smack for 40 days to an entire army and David went out there with his brother some lunch and when he saw it. Listen, he didn't turn and get no, no hole. He didn't run and hide. He one day, he said, what in the world are you letting him do that for? And my dear friends, he got him some stones and he headed in the name of the Lord to this Goliath. So to all you commentators out there that think he went to a hole or a stronghold because he's scared, you missed it. David was no scaredy cat. He went to the stronghold. He went to the hole. He went to his prayer closet. He was seeking counsel from God. How do I know that? Well, they're used to getting attacked, so they just keep marching. They ain't used to somebody. What, what, what? They just kept getting closer. And my Bible says down in that stronghold, so David inquired of the Lord. 
counsel. Saying, now look here, he had a couple of questions. Shall I go up against the Philistines? When he said, shall I go up, listen to me, here's what that means. Lord, shall I meet him face to face? Shall I stand chest to chest? Lord, shall I stand toe to toe? Should I stand man to man, hand to hand? Shall I go meet him head on? That's what he asked. And by the way, are you going to deliver them into my hand? He's inquiring. He's getting some counsel from the Lord. And the Lord simply told him, Yep. That's right. So I want you to look at me, and I want you to listen to me. When you hear the enemies coming, one of the greatest and the first thing that you ought to do is you ought to get counsel from God. But number two, we see that David got a command from God. He got a command from the Lord. And the Lord said to David, go up. So what did he just say? Hey, David, go meet him. Eyeball to eyeball, chest to chest, toe to toe, man to man, hand to hand. Yes, go up and listen. The second question, and for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. I want you to realize God didn't suggest that he go up. It wasn't God's opinion. He don't have those to go up. It was a command. It was an order from headquarters to David. Yes, go up face to face, chest to chest, toe to toe, man to man, hand to hand. Yes, that is my command. See, too often we think about God's Word as being a suggestion or opinion. And I'm here to tell you today, when your enemy's coming, listen, you don't need an opinion from God. You don't need a suggestion from God. You need to realize God will give you a command to overcome and give you victory over your enemy. So are you with me? When he heard the enemy was coming... David got counsel from the Lord. He got a commandment from the Lord. But watch this. It's going to help you. David complied to the Lord. It said, so David went. He went to face him eyeball to eyeball, chest to chest, toe to toe. He went and he done exactly what the Lord commanded him. And I want you to look up here and I want you to listen. There's a lot of Christians not overcoming their enemies. Oh yeah, they're going and getting counsel from God. And oh yeah, God's giving them some commandments. But they're hearing the counsel. They're hearing the commandment. But James put it this way. They're not doing what he says. They're not complying and living it out. But David knew it wasn't good enough to get the counsel, to hear the command, and then not do what the Lord said. So he complies and he becomes a doer of the word and not a hearer only. He went face to face. 
with the Philistines. And because of that counsel and that command and that compliance, I finish with saying, David got a conquest from the Lord. David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me. He gave credit where credit was due to the Lord, like a breakthrough of the water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Belperzim, and they left their images there, and his men carried them away. And some of your translation says, His men burnt them. So, would you agree with me? David heard about his enemy. They're coming. You ought to know because your Bible tells you your enemy's coming. He seeks counsel from the Lord. He gets a command from the Lord. He's compliant with the Lord. And therefore, he gets a conquest. He gets a victory from the Lord. Is everybody with me? Would you say... That 2 Samuel 5, 17 through 21 is a great victory for David when the enemy is coming toward him. Wouldn't you say that? Listen, it's not loaded. Ray Charles can see that. He got a victory. Right? But something happened between verse 21 and 22. Don't look. Don't cheat. Look up here. If I didn't do nothing but preach to you what I just preached, that's good preaching. Not because I'm the preacher. That's good preaching. David taught us something about counsel from the Lord, a command from the Lord, compliance with the Lord, and therefore we can get victory from the Lord. That's good preaching. That's a great outline. That can give us victory and that can give us encouragement when the enemy comes. But look here, something happened between verse 21 and 22. The enemy's coming back. Doesn't it say it right there? The Philistines went up once again. Where to? They deployed themselves to the valley. Look at verse 18. Very same place. Well, wait a minute. Once we defeat the enemy, we got the victory over the enemy. That's the problem in the church. You would argue with me when I tell you most of the children of God's victories are temporary. Oh, you'd say, no, they ain't. And I'd say, yes, they are. Most of the victories that the children of God get over their enemy, look at me, listen to me, they're temporary. There is some victories that are permanent. One of them is salvation. When you get saved, it's permanent. You're saved from the penalty of sin. But look up here and listen to me. You might get, you might get some more victories if you'll listen to me. Because I ain't done nothing but give you the introduction yet. The title of today's message is Overcoming Temporary Victories. Overcoming Temporary Victories. See, just because we get the victory over our enemy don't mean it's over. According to that scripture, the enemy's coming back. Come on! 
Who's our enemy? The flesh. How many of you's got victory over the flesh one minute but lost it the next? How many of you's lost that weight after the first of the year? You're, you're slim and you're trim and you're in shape. But six months later, a year later, you're bigger than you ever was. But you thought you had the victory over your diet. Look up here. That victory was temporary if you don't keep fighting the battle. Come on. And the world, it's our enemy, isn't it? Man, we come out of that world, we're saved, and the things of the world, let me tell you something, just because you come out of the world and you're saved, and you realize you're a foreigner here in this place, don't you ever think that the world still ain't trying to draw you back and pull you right back into the world. Just because you got victory over the flesh once don't mean you'll keep victory. It's a temporary battle you got to keep fighting. The flesh is going to come back. You get victory over the world, guess what? It'll be back. It'll come with a vengeance trying to draw you back into the world. And the accomplice behind it all is none other than the devil. And just because you got victory over the devil, you didn't let him kill, steal, or destroy you today, guess what? He just like the Philistines. Write it down, big, plain, and straight. He'll be back. And you've got to defeat him a second time. Victories in the Christian life are often temporary. We put our guard down and we don't go from victory to victory. We go from victory to defeat. And many times when we end up defeated after a great victory, that's where we sit. That's where we stay. We can learn something from David here today. And I've titled the message, Overcoming Temporary victories. You guys are sure a tough crowd today. Who wants to have one win? OSU, yeah, one win over OU in football. That's good enough for them. That ain't me. I want to have win after win after win. Don't get all riled up because I attacked your team. Because we was just like you. We got a big win over Texas and we relaxed and we didn't go from victory to victory. We went from victory to defeat. So I don't care who your team is. You're going to feel, you're going to feel the pain. So listen to me. I'm not interested in one victory and then defeat, 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 defeat. One victory, defeat, defeat, defeat. I'm ready for victory, 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 victory. And look here. We got to realize the enemy's coming back. Just because you got the monkey off your back don't mean the circus has left town, folks. So here we go. Let's look at this. So if we're going to overcome our temporary victories, let's look at what David does again. Well, the first thing he does is the same thing he done in the first battle. He gets counsel from the Lord. Look at it. Verse 23. David inquired of the Lord. Let me tell you a problem in Christians' lives and church lives. We defeat the enemy. We think we've won the victory. He circles around and comes back, and we're going to face him again. And we think, well, we defeated him once. He'll be easy to defeat again. David didn't just say, hey, let's go meet him. We whipped him once. They'll be easier to whip a second time. Huh? That ain't what David done. 
He inquired of the Lord. He didn't care how bad he had whipped them. And they had left their gods behind. That's what religion will do. When he, he, when he give them a whooping the first time, their gods couldn't do nothing for them. They left them in the dirt. So David could have had the mindset, man, we've done defeated the Philistines. It was pretty easy. They throw their gods down in the dirt. We burnt them. They're back. Come on, guys. Let's go fight them again. Ain't what David done. It was the same army that he had whooped. And I don't know how long it was between verse 21 and 22. Do you? Two days? Two weeks? Two months? Two years? None of the above? All I know is they come back. And all I know is your enemy's going to come back. You may defeat him today, but he'll be back. And when he does, don't think, well, I defeated him once. I'll do, that'd be easy to do again. Uh Uh-uh. You better get counsel from the Lord. One of the biggest victories in the Bible is Joshua chapter 6. And and we know that story well, don't we, exciting southeast? We know it well because that's why we sit where we sit. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? That's where Joshua had sought the Lord. And the Lord give him counsel. And what did the Lord tell him to do? You're going to take down the walls of Jericho. And can you imagine? He had sought counsel from the Lord. And he, he called all of his army in. They said, yes, sir, Sergeant Joshua. Well, we're going to take Jericho, men. All right, how many horses and how many chariots and how many swordmen and how many spearsmen do we need? And Joshua looks at him and says, None. The army probably looks at him and says, well, uh, what do we need, Sarge? And Sarge says, we need some trumpet players. We need some marchers. And when he got them all together, he said, we're going to march around Jericho one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. Now, some of you is pretty new to exciting southeast. And I say southeast knows that scripture well because we had the, the landowner on the land that we now own. He backed out. And God put on our heart to march around this land one time for six days. And on the seventh day, we marched around it seven times. And we never done anything. The Lord give us this land after the landowner had backed out. Do you understand that? We know something about that verse. And how big a victory was this for them walls to come down at Jericho? How big were those walls? They was big walls. Do you realize they had chariot races on top of them? Holy cow. Holy chariots, big, wide walls. So on that seventh day when they marched around it and they blowed the trumpets, my Bible says those big old walls that wow us, the fact that they raced chariots on the top of them, fell flat to the ground. Would you agree with me? That is one of the biggest conquests, one of the biggest victories that we found written in the Scriptures. Would you agree with me? Okay. Just a few days later, the next chapter, what happens? Big old town of Ai. They asked one preacher, how you spell it? He said, A-I. He said, well, how you pronounce it? He said, A-I. He said, well, that's a pretty small town if it's spelled A-I and pronounced A-I. Pretty small town 
but it's one of the biggest defeats recorded in Scripture. And it come right behind one of the greatest victories. Go study it out. When they come to AI, I can't find Joshua going and getting counsel. I just see him sending a few spies up. There ain't very many. Okay, we don't even all need to go. Go up and wipe them out, would you? Man, we just defeated Jericho. They defeated Jericho because there was some counsel sought. They tried to go without counsel to AI, and right behind one of the greatest victories recorded in Scriptures come one of the biggest defeats because AI whipped their tail. Don't ever forget. It don't matter the battle. When the enemy's in front of you, the first thing you need to do is seek counsel from the Lord. And all God's people ought to be saying, Amen. Boy, sometimes we just think, well, we defeated them once. It'll be easy this time. How many times does a team defeat a team and when they play them the second time in the season, they're no more prepared for them. We beat them once, we'll beat them again. And when the game's over, guess what? That team that they defeated early has now defeated them. That's a picture of the Christian life when we fail to get counsel from the Lord. Every time you hear the enemy coming, you need to get counsel from the Lord. That was the same, right? Here's where the difference comes. The command from the Lord. So he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, you shall not go up. Well, wait a minute. The last time this enemy come to this same place, when I inquired of you, Lord, you told me to go up face to face, chest to chest, toe to toe, man to man, hand to hand. But I've come to inquire of you again, and now you're telling me we're going to do this differently? And the Lord says, yeah. We're not going to go eyeball to eyeball, chest to chest, and toe to toe with them. The command's different. Look at this. You shall not go up. You shall circle around behind them and come upon them in the in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in front of the trees, behind the trees, in the midst of the trees. What's your Bible say? When you hear the sound of marching in the top. Now wait just a second. Now, I've seen some people marching. Done a little marching myself. But I ain't never seen or heard nobody marching in the top of the trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you and strike the camp of the Philistines. Well, I can relate as a pastor right here because I can just imagine I can just imagine David calling his army. Philistines are coming again, guys. All right, get the, get the chariots, get the horses, get the swords, get the spears. Let's go, guys. David said, uh-uh. What do you mean, uh-uh? <laughs> David, we just defeated them. Just a little while back like this. And David is the leader. I can relate as the pastor. That ain't how we're going to do it. 
I've been with the Lord. He says, we're not going to go face to face. And as a leader, I can relate. Some of them went to Yayan. What do you mean we're not going to do it like that? That's how we got victory before. And David's doing his best to lead him and say, listen, doesn't matter how we got victory before. God's telling me differently. Well, what are we going to do, David? Well, we're going to go. We're going to listen. We don't. We don't need no weapons. We're we're going to go out there. Remember that patch of mulberry trees? And can you imagine this army? Yeah, we know where the mulberry trees are. Well, we're going to go sit, and we're going to be real, 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 real quiet. And I imagine these soldiers are looking at him, saying, "What?" And he said, "In in the midst of us being quiet." We're going to hear some marching in the top of those trees. And I'm sure these soldiers was going. In the tops? You mean in front of? You mean behind? You mean in the midst? Listen, man. We're going to hear some marching in the tops of the trees. It's going to be the Lord's army. He's coming to fight the battle. And look at me and listen to me. And evidently that army trusted the man that inquired of God to lead them to victory because they'd done it. You know how many churches won't trust the leaders? Or the leaders aren't worth trusting, whichever way that is. Are not getting victory. Because they're sitting there drying up on the vine. Are you listening to me today? You're very distracted. Anybody that moves, you look at them. That ain't going to matter. Listen to me. How many churches are sitting around? They had a one-time victory. They had some souls saved. They had a great year. They built a building. But now they're sitting there. They've had great victory. But when the pastor and the leader goes to them and says, look, we need to do this, they'll say something like this. We ain't never done that before. We ain't never done it that way. We've always done this. And that could be the reason they're sitting there drying up on the vine and there's no victory because, listen, they, they don't realize that God, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but God is He's notorious at changing His tactic. Moses, they're thirsty. Go hit the rock. Moses, they're thirsty. Moses, they're thirsty. And say, go hit the rock again. He said, go speak to the rock. Time and time again, God would change His tactics to bring victory again and again. Here this army is, they're ready. We know how David fights. He's going to come out face to face, face to face. We got him and God says, they won't outsmart me. They're ready for you face to face. Trust me. Circle behind. I'm going to send my army to march on top of the trees and you'll get victory. We need to understand in the church today, we need to understand in our individual lives, God don't change, but He often changes the tactic you ever wondered why 
it's pretty easy to figure out when you see churches drying on the vine. People begin to worship the ways and traditions of how they've always done everything. And let me just let you in on something today. God never called us to worship the ways that he does stuff. God has called us to worship the, his person, not his ways. And when we worship the person of God, then we will know the ways of God, and they're not always the same. There's so many churches that their motto is, we've never done it that way before. And I want to say, and how long has it been since you saw a victory? Because you're trying to fight the enemy the same way that you got victory over him before. And God's sitting there saying, won't you look at me for counsel? I've got a different way. I've got a different tactic. Amen. And you know, Doug Parker was there one day and was talking about me getting to preach here and preach there and some of the platforms that God's given me. And, and, and somebody said, man, one church has grew into two churches and 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 Kit Pharaoh used to ask us in the ranching business, what's your unfair advantage? What do you have that nobody else has? Or what do you recognize that's an advantage or an opportunity rather than a problem? I'm still trying to figure out what mine in ranching is. But you ready for this? You know what my unfair advantage is in pastoring a church? I wasn't raised in one. And I'm not caught up in traditions of how the Baptists do it or how this person does it. I, I'm just, I'm just, Lord, I need to know how to do it because I don't have no idea how to do it. I wasn't raised in church. I was raised in a barn. I'm always leaving people's doors open. And they asked me if I raised in a barn. I said, yeah. And I don't know why they're asking me if I'm raised in a barn. It's evident I was raised in a barn. Look at me. And one day I was standing beside old Doug Parker. And somebody says, why is, why is God using Rob to do what he's doing? Why is he giving him some of the platforms that he's giving him? And I'll never forget what Doug Parker answered him. He said, because you can't explain Rob. It's evident Rob can't do it. And it's evident that God is doing it. And it's evident that Rob ain't afraid to change the way that, that God's going to use him. And I remember Doug saying that. And now I read this and study it out. Thank God I'm that way. And thank God I'm not just having victory temporarily. I'm having victory after victory. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on the Lord. David's bragging on the Lord here. It's the Lord that's giving him victory. It's the Lord that's giving him victory. But the problem is, David's not caught up in one command. God could change his tactics. And I'm going to be willing and ready to change the tactic. I got counsel from God. The command has changed. It's the only thing that's changed. Watch this. Behind the council, there's a different command. We're not going face to face. We're going around behind them. And look here. The compliance stays the same. Look at it. And David did so. David didn't say, but Lord, listen, last time we went face to face. We went chest to chest, toe to toe. So God, I know you're telling me to circle around behind, but that's really uncomfortable. <laughs> Let me tell you something. As a pastor, there's some things that are really uncomfortable. Because we get comfortable in the way that we do stuff. And I'm sure David's thinking, man, I'd lots rather just go face to face and toe to toe. I, that's the way I did the line. That's the way I did. God, do you remember with Goliath? I just run straight toward him. I didn't circle behind him. 
David, circle behind. Be real quiet. And when you hear the marching in top of the trees, then go. Maybe David did argue, but in the end, what? And David did so. Folks, there's no use in arguing with God. I've tried it. 23 years now he's been my Lord. And I'm not going to sit up here and be some holy Joe and tell you I've never argued because I have. But when the dust settles and the smoke clears, you know what you'll end up doing? Exactly what he commanded you to do if you want the victory. You can get whooped, you can get defeated, you can get down and you can get out, but eventually you're going to come back around and you are going to comply to his command or you're not going to get the victory. Everybody got that? And so what happens? The only thing that changed was the command, and that's our issue. The conquest, and he drove them back, the Philistines, from Geba as far as Gezer. Victory after victory instead of victory, defeat, like it's so often in the Bible. If you'll come back tonight, I'm going to show you from the Scriptures how many defeats and discouragement come after huge victories and what causes them. Please come back tonight and you'll see that. But look here. Don't ever underestimate the power of obedience. Do you realize both times those enemies came? We just see the power of God working in an obedient servant. Do you think it made sense? Maybe the first time to David, let's just go get him. That's my mentality. And that's the mentality of a lot of people. Let's just hit her head on. And sometimes God's whispering, hey, come here. We're not going to hit this one head on. The enemy knows us that way. If you want victory, we're going to come from a different angle. Man, was that ever illustrated to me? And some of you have heard this story. I was called to be the pastor here at Exciting Southeast. At that time, it was Southeast. Do you realize this has not always been Exciting Southeast? I mean, for about six months, we was just Southeast. And then exciting things started to happen. We had victory after victory. And somebody said, we ought to be changing our name to Exciting Southeast Baptist. And we pulled out the checkbook and spent the big money, 20 bucks, and got our name changed. $20 did it cost us. So look here. I'd been at Southeast for about three or four weeks, and here's what had happened in my three years of being saved. Cowboy crusade after cowboy crusade. Youth rally, Oklahoma City. Got to speak behind Rebecca St. James. I don't know who she is, but she sang longer than she was supposed to. Stinking music leaders. And let me just tell you something. In that first three years, 100% of the time that I was behind the mic, for some reason God used, God would bless that. Not one time behind the mic had I not seen at the end of that preaching, testifying. Not one time have I not seen a soul saved. So now God calls me to be the pastor. <laughs> Dead. Dead. I preach my heart out for three weeks. I'd never seen anybody as much visit the altar. Now let me tell you something. I was used to victory after victory. God, I can't take this. 
It was eating my lunch that these altars was dry. It was eating my lunch that souls wasn't being saved. Are you with me? And one Sunday morning, I got up. And I got on my knees in front of a little brown chair in our den at Locust Grove. And I prayed, God, I can't take this. I mean, there may be churches that don't see a soul saved for years, two years, three years, and I don't know how the preachers are doing it, but I can't take it. Man, can you please tell me what to do? Can you please save some souls? And you know what? Everybody was still in bed at my house, and I just on my knees crying. And I didn't understand why we wasn't getting victories. And God didn't speak, and I got up about half ill at him over it. I took my shower, and I got all cleaned up. And I said, God, I just don't understand. And that's when that small, still voice said something just crazy. Almost as crazy as go by, hide behind the mulberry trees. Small, still voice said, walk to church. And I says, Lord, that's seven miles. Walk to church. Lord, what's that got to do with anything? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Walk to church. Everybody's still in bed. I just run in there. I don't have very many tennis shoes, but I had two, one for each foot. If I'm going to walk seven miles, far be it from being in ostrich boots. And I'll never forget sitting down and peeling them boots off. And the Lord saying, it ain't about comfort. Leave your boots on. Revealed to me that cross wasn't a comfortable place. And I'm going to tell you, I thought it was the silliest thing I'd ever heard. I didn't wake my wife up. I didn't say anything. I looked at the clock and thought, if I'm going to walk to church and I'm going to be where it starts, I better get gone. It was the end of August. It was hotter than who done it. And I walked out of the front of that house with my Bible under my hand. And can I tell you, the first mile I walked, I was just a little bit mad. And I just went ahead and told the Lord how silly I thought this was. And right before I hit that mile that I was going to turn back, the Lord reminded me that He's not silly. I went from real mad to real sad. And I got convicted and I had to apologize and say, Lord, I'm sorry. It just seems awful silly. So that second mile when I was headed west, I was crying because I told the Lord he was silly. Sarah chuckled at him once. She thought he was silly and then she had a kid at 90. God's big enough to think for us to think he's silly because there's more than one that has thought he's that way. And that day I thought he was awful silly. And then I got sad that second mile that I thought he was silly. And I was reminded of all those places in the scriptures as I was pacing my way to church. God, you're not silly. 
And when I turned off Low Water Dam Road, by this time I'm trying to figure out why I'm walking. When I turned and I headed toward the bridge over there, I just kept thinking, there's got to be some reason. There's got to be some old boy, some old gal broke down, some old boy, some old gal out in the yard that I'm supposed to share Jesus with. And I didn't make it very far. And sure enough, there was a man out in his yard. When I spotted him, I thought, that's it, Lord. And I walked up in his yard and he said, what are you doing, son, walking up the road with the Bible in your hand? I said, I don't know. Maybe it's you. What do you mean maybe it's me? I said, I just need to know, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? He said, yes, sir, I do. So I guess it ain't me. I said, all right. He gave me a testimony to be saved. And I took out. I crossed Lindsay May's Bridge. You know what? Church members from that direction started by passing. They started looking at me. And then they just drive by. And then I went to thinking how sorry some of you that done it in here today. How sorry you are. Isn't that something how we are? I knew that I couldn't take a ride. But I was mad they didn't stop and offer. That's just how our flesh is, isn't it? I know I'm instructed to walk, but them sorry sap suckers won't even offer me a ride. I'll never forget old Fred McCoy, that old gray station wagon. He come by right before the curve, and he looked out and he rolled down his window. And he said, "What are you doing?" And he off the corner and he come back and he rolled that window down. And he said, "Get your goofy tail in here." I said, "I can't." Now you get in here, boy. I said, Fred, I can't. I see it, church. Fred McCoy drove off shaking his head. I rounded the corner. Seemed kind of silly, don't it? I was probably right at the edge of our property. Lots of church members had drove by. Fred had told me to get my tail in the car. Here's the one that got me. It was Donna. <laughs> Had Miss Connie Bird with her. She later said, Connie said, Donna, that's Robbie. She said, I know. Aren't you going to stop and get him? No. And Connie said, Donna was crying. Said if he's walking, I ain't supposed to stop getting. And Don will tell you it was pretty hard to pass her husband. Seemed awful silly. Not a person had visited the altars. Nobody had been saved. But that day, twenty one people was saved. I want you to look up and I want you to listen. It still seems awful silly to me. And it may seem awful silly to you. But here's my point. There's power and there's victory in obedience.
What's God commanding you to put down? What's God commanding you to pick up? What seems so silly to you that God's telling you to do? Huh? The text proves it. There's power in obedience. God can do great and mighty things if we seek His counsel. If we follow His commands, and sometimes they change. If we comply, doers not hearers. What lies behind it? Victory. Conquest. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one that just experiences temporary victories. I want victory after victory, after victory, after victory, after victory. And I believe the Bible shows exactly how to get it. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some of you not living that victorious life. You had a one-time victory and you think you can handle it. You think you can be victorious in that of yourself. And you, this morning you need counsel. Anybody here need some counsel? And when you come and get on your knees, you better understand something today. The command may differ, be different than it's ever been before. And when you come and kneel in these altars today, let me tell you something, whatever He commands... Can I save you some heartache and save you some time? And can I get you to victory faster? Comply. Just go ahead and say, Lord, I'm not just hearing. I'm ready to do. Huh? You need some victory? Not, not just temporary victory. Victory after victory after victory. The altars are open. But if you're not in the altar, I want you to look up at me right now. I said something, and a lot of you will argue with it. You go study. You go look it over. And then you come back, and you can apologize to me. Because some of you think that I said something wrong when I said most victories are temporary. But you're going to find that there was a lot of victories in the Bible that was temporary because the children of God would veer from God's counsel, veer from God's commands. Huh? and veer from complying with God's Word. And guess what it brought them? Defeat. And I told you today something that some of you disagree with, and that is that most victories are temporary. But here's what I want to preach to you this morning. There's one that's permanent, and that's the victory of salvation. Once you get salvation, that's a victory that's done. You are permanently saved from the penalty of sin. You are everlasting, forever saved from an eternal hell. If you're here today, maybe you'll realize what Jason realized after I shared about your name written in heaven. If you're here today, you may realize what Jason realized when he looked over at me with big old tears in his eyes and he said, it just occurred to me, I've never been saved. I've just never asked him into my heart. 
just occurred to me, I've sat right here, I've been to the altars, but I've never been saved. That could be you here today. You've sat in a church pew. You've heard the sermons. You've maybe even been baptized. Jason had been. But it may occur to you today, you've never truly been saved. If that's you here today, Mike's fixing to sing. Could I encourage you to step out? Can I encourage you to come? Because that's the gift that's permanent. That's the victory that's permanent. Father, have your way in the hearts of us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come?